Hey, I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Johnny Yee. Tune into our radio show, Philly Rock Live. We play the classic hard rock and metal from the 70s and 80s. We grew up on. We play the new music those same bands are making today. And we play new music from around the world. Not to mention the great bands from our own local scene. You will not hear a mix of music like this anywhere else. If it kicks ass, we, we play it. Philly Rock Live. Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Philly time. On phillyrockradio.com. Listen online with your mobile device or even your smart speaker. And now, and now, it's time for another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We talk hard-hitting sports and bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal, because sports and metal go better together. Now here's your host, Jason Voorhees, and Aaron Savage. Oh yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Sports and Metal Podcast. We are live here on Saturday night, uh, a slap off edition, if you will. As we slap back from an aborted show on Thursday, we were supposed to have Phil Sandoval on from Armored Saint. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, um, we had to reschedule that show at the last second. So we're kind of making the show up now, just Jason and I here to shoot the shit a little bit. Uh, about everything that's going on, and slapback wasn't just a, a pun. I guess it was, but Jay, have you heard about the Sabbath um, this week? Um, the executor of uh, late uh, Black Sabbath keyboardist Jeff Nichols, they uh, you know released a, uh, an old unreleased Sabbath track to YouTube. Tony Iommi's pissed about it. The track's called Slapback. Have you had a chance to hear it? I just checked it out before the show. <laughs> Dude, it's definitely definitely not like your typical Sabbath track. Um, I don't know what to think of it. I mean, it's it's controversial in the sense Geezer was on Eddie Trunk's show this past week on Sirius XM saying that he remembers the track and that he played on it, and it was an old throwaway from the Heaven and Hell sessions. But Tony Iommi is saying that it was recorded when, when Geezer had quit the band temporarily back in 79 when he was going through his divorce, and that... Ronnie James Dio actually played bass on the track. And he, Tony Iommi's pissed off that Jeff Nichols' estate released it. So definitely interesting news on the Sabbath front. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. The song's called Slapback. 
Uh, and again, it was recorded during the Heaven and Hell sessions. So it's definitely a hidden gem. One thing we can say if you heard it, it's definitely Ronnie James Dio on the vocal. <laughs> so interesting, man. Anyway, I know me and you all week, we've been talking about uh, also in the metal news, the Tracy Guns, uh, Michael Sweet collaboration. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. It's um, unbelievable, dude. It's unbelievable. I think it it, it kind of reminds me of like an Iron Maiden type, you know, it's got that kind of feel to it. I know you and I were talking like kind of like the Halloween type style. It's got, you know, it's just it's just not what I would be used to from either of those two artists. Uh, you know, uh Striper has has been a lot heavier on their on their most three actually four recent albums have been really heavy. Agreed. So I can see Michael Sweet going to that, you know, stock type of style. But uh, Tracy Guns, I, I mean, to have those two together on, on a record is is amazing. Um, well, dude, a little background, a little background. Um, Ellie Guns' most recent record with Phil Lewis on the vocals was uh, "The Devil You Know." It was it, it was definitely a heavier Ellie Guns album. Uh, I like the record a lot. Um, Ellie Guns signed to Frontier Records, same label as Striper. And uh, Tracy Guns, you know, recently got a solo deal with Frontiers Records. At the time that L.A. Guns' album, The Devil You Know, came out, Tracy Guns wanted to tour with Striper. He thought it was a cool idea because they were label mates. And, you know, the album was called The Devil You Know. And Striper being a Christian band, it was kind of like heaven and hell, you know. But it, the, the tour never materialized. But apparently Tracy and um, Michael Sweet became friends just in the last couple of years. Amazingly, having both been from the Sunset Strip LA metal scene of the early to mid 80s. Shockingly, they never crossed paths or never were friendly, but recently became, you know, pretty close friends and realized how much they had in common as far as their musical tastes, musical backgrounds. And Tracy Gunn says they have completely different ideological backgrounds as far as like religion and personal beliefs, but yet they get along so well just because of the musical um, tastes that they share. And like you said, Striper's music has gotten heavier and heavier. You listen to the old Striper stuff, it definitely was like totally like on par with other stuff that was coming out. What we'd call now the hair metal scene at the time, the term hair metal didn't exist. We just called it, you know, LA glam metal, whatever. But Striper definitely fit the mold musically. Lately, the last few records have been more of like a power metal sound, you know, elements of speed metal, um, almost like Dragon Force to me. You, 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 what do you think? Don't you think a lot of the stripers stuff almost has like a Dragon Force vibe to it? Yeah, especially the last, you know, the last album. Uh, you know, well, they're actually the last two. They they had Goddamn Evil and then Even the Devil Believes. That's their most recent, and, and both of them. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they've gotten progressively better. Oh, agreed. A lot heavier. Like yeah. each each new album has has kind of raise the bar, so to speak, you know, for that band. Uh, I, I, and you know me, I'm a diehard Striper fan. <laughs> uh, you know, just, uh, I got the, uh, <laughs> your Striper right here, um, you know, but, you know, I, I, I think a lot of times they don't get the credit that they deserve, you know, in, in, in the mainstream because obviously because of their, of their beliefs, but I think you got to look away from that because 
it doesn't matter what they believe. Every, you're, you know, you're entitled to believe what you want to believe. But if you listen to them as artists, I mean, Michael Sweet and Oz Fox on guitar together, they, they're probably in the top 20 tandems of all time. In my opinion, I mean, I, I know you're not a list guy, but they're just phenomenal. Like they, they kind of, And that brings us kind of full circle to my point. Each other. You, you know, like, like Tracy Gunn said, they have completely different ideological backgrounds, ideological philosophies, but yet they can meet such in a middle ground musically that it works. Like you just said, who cares what their beliefs are? And that's kind of where we are with this. So you have these two guys that are from the same music scene, but yet completely different fan bases. In other words, that was kind of like why LA Guns wanted to tour with Striper. Obviously, beings that they are from the same musical background, but yet have completely different audiences. You know, LA Guns' audience is not the same audience as Striper. And the tour would have been awesome, like kind of a heaven and hell vibe. The devil you know Striper. But now here they are, all these years later, Tracy Guns and Michael Sweet have become very friendly, decided finally to collaborate. And Tracy Guns, I mean, he's his music tastes are very diverse. I mean, he, he likes a lot of subgenres. He's a huge doom metal fan. I don't know if you ever listened to the LA Gun album that came out back in like 96, American Hardcore. Um, that was definitely uh, the heaviest LA Guns record. I mean, completely un nothing like anything else they've released before or since. You know, more in the vein of Pantera than anything else. But so Tracy Guns is always, and you know, the stuff, the second uh, Brides of Destruction album also kind of veered away from the first album that had some real thrashy stuff. Times in Heaven was on that, which was dedicated to Dimebag Darrell. Great track, by the way, but I digress. Bottom line is this album, Tracy Guns is definitely exploring his heavier side. And in doing that, and then it kind of merges with Striper having gotten so much heavier on their recent releases. It's like a perfect blend. You listen to the stuff that Tracy's putting out there and then the, the vocal that Michael Sweet's putting over it, it's phenomenal. And for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, uh, the band is called Sunbomb, right? Am I right, Jay? Sunbomb? Yes. yes. Sunbomb. The first track, I think, is called No Tomorrows. Yeah, the, the album's actually coming out. Um, it's Evil and Divine. What, Jay? Evil and Divine is the name of the record. Yes, yes. And it, I, I believe it will be out uh, either next month or within the next couple months. It, it'll be released. Yeah, it's uh, um, May 14th. May 14th, projected release date. For two months. But, yeah, so that track in particular, like I said, when, when you told me about it, and I, and I, you know, obviously I'm a streamer, so I, uh, you know, popped on Amazon and, uh, you know, pulled it up. And, I, I mean, I was blown away. Like, I, first of all, when, when, when you told me it was Michael Sweet, obviously I was intrigued. And then when I realized... It, it sounded nothing like it, it. It doesn't sound like Striper and it doesn't sound like LA Guns. It's like completely like you were saying, it's a totally different style of music. Honestly, it, it and, you know, I, I did read that article and, you know, you know, they were talking about how Tracy Guns is is a huge doom metal guy. And it does have that doom metal sound, too. But it also has like. I don't know. You've used the word before, and I can't think of it all, right off the hand, uh, right off the bat. You, you used a certain word to describe the music that I actually enjoy, like the Iron Maiden. Oh, well, I got that from Nikki Six reading The Dirt years ago. I'm uh, well, no, I, I always called it Dungeons and Dragonsy. 
Okay. Yeah, but Nikki Six always called it something else, like with the the, the gallop. Nikki Six called it the galloping sound, like like um. Run to the hills. Run for your life. You know, it had like a galloping sound. But yeah, like so that's how Maiden always sounded like gal horses galloping. But but yeah, I always called it Dungeons and Dragons rock, like Maiden, Dio. I mean, as much as I love Dio in Sabbath, I I'm not the hugest Dio guy. I'm more of an Aussie guy. But yes, that's what I always kind of called. You're right. This record, like on that on that vibe. You know what I mean? I mean the riff, even the opening riff, like oh, it's phenomenal. It's like it, it, it kind of reminds me of like it, I thought I was listening to Maiden, and, and, and you know when I first heard it. Yeah, so yeah. I mean I, I'm definitely excited to hear this whole you know record. And uh, like I, like Aaron said, if you haven't checked it out, you you don't know what you're missing because it's, yeah, it's funny. We started the show talking about the unreleased Sabbath track that was just leaked, Slapback. And it's funny, Nick, um, Tracy, Nikki Six, Tracy Guns actually commented regarding Sunbomb's musical direction. Guns said, I compare it in my catalog, my personal catalog, to Black Sabbath's Born Again. That album is so different than any other Black Sabbath album, yet it's Black Sabbath. It's 100% Tony Iommi, but Ian Gillen is singing. That's what this record is like. I hear my riffs and my style times 100. It's what I do normally, but extra strength. And Michael's voice is insane, man. He's so good. So there, we tied in the Sabbath lead to the Sunbomb story. So check it out. It's coming out May 14th. The album's called Evil and Divine. The band's called Sunbomb. It's a collaboration between Tracy Guns and Michael Sweet of Striper. You're definitely going to want to check that out. So um, in other metal news, I saw uh, Corey Taylor has put uh, Stone Sour on indefinite hiatus, if anybody's interested in that. Kind of sucks because I always thought Stone Stone Sour was better than Slipknot. I'm more of a fan of that band, and it's interesting because Stone Sour dates back like five years before Slipknot. That was Corey Taylor's original band. Um, I don't know if you followed that story at all, but you know Corey is going to be working on his solo career, so maybe that I, I have a feeling that's going to be more in the vein of Stone Sour. Um, but dude, there's a reason we're wearing these hats, bro. Bring it. Oh, bring it! You, you talk some smack. You told everybody that you know. Obviously, you guys know by now. Aaron's a diehard Mets fan. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I'm a Phillies fan. So there's going to be a lot of this during you know the next couple years for us since we've uh, come to learn this new technology. But yeah, so. I guess this is the time where we uh, get into our Mets Phillies. I don't know if you want to say war, but you know we could call it a debate, an argument. Well, I'll tell you this: I'm going to let the audience know right now. I don't consider myself a homer or a biased fan. Like, if the Mets suck, I will tell you they suck. And like I said previously on this show, when we had Dykstra on, and a couple weeks ago when we had Phil Stifle on. I mean, I'm an honest fan. Back in 93, I, I still tell you, I predicted the Phillies to win the division that year. And I like that team. So that said, I'm, that's why I'm telling you this. When I say this, I mean it. Bro, Mets are going to win the NL East this year. There's no doubt in my mind, bro. This is the best Mets team that they've had in years. Years. And, and having Steve Cohn own the team with his, you know, $2.5 billion value. The Mets finally have the money to back it up, which before we get into this leads me to a big story this week that we should have got into before. <laughs> wow, did the Mets dodge a huge bullet, Jay? 
Thank goodness that J-Lo and A-Rod's group did not buy the Mets with all the drama. It's only been months, months, and there's already a story that J-Lo and A-Rod are breaking up. It's over. So I had my baseball team and then break up a couple months later. You were going to buy a major league team? What a joke. Thank God that didn't happen. But then TMZ today is that they're saying they're not breaking up. So who knows what's going on with that? But thank goodness, man, the Mets dodged a bullet. Yeah, what a mess. Steve Cohn, man, he's here to win. I love how he's engaging with the fans on Twitter, which is awesome. Definitely a change from prior ownership or any ownership I've seen in sports. Steve Cohn actually engages with the fan base on Twitter. That's freaking awesome. Um, so I, I know he cares. I know he's going to listen to what the fans think. I know that trading for Lindor isn't like, oh, trading for the when the Mets traded for Mike Hampton in 2000 and then didn't sign him. I can't imagine that the Mets aren't going to sign this guy. It might take $350 million over 10 years, but I think this team will invest. I think they are, they want to invest. They wouldn't have made the trade if they weren't going to sign him long term. You know, and they, they need to talk the talk just as, and walk the walk because Lindor is already quoted in, in the new Sports Illustrated. He's on the cover of the baseball preview saying he, he thinks he's the best shortstop in baseball. So he's already put the Mets on notice. Hey, I'm the best shortstop in baseball. He didn't say sign me, but by saying I'm the best shortstop in baseball, what else is he saying? You better sign me or I'm going to free agency and I'm going to get this money. I think the Mets will sign him. I mean, the Mets are is stacked, Jay. That the lineup is stacked. That who's got a deeper lineup than the Mets? I mean, why do you think the Phillies? You said on on this show that the Phillies were going to win the division, and I want to hear it. Why do you think that? Well, because I honestly I think the team as a whole is being undervalued. Okay. Do I think that a lot of that has to do with previous, you know, mistakes that they made? Obviously, I mean. But you have to look at last year's team. So there, let's just look at one part of the team, the bullpen. So they had a relief. They had a reliever ERA, basically, as a combined group, over seven, which I think was second worst all time since they started tracking ERA for relief pitching. So – you're talking about a historically inept bullpen. Now, did they go out and sign, you know? Yeah, I just looked it up. The Phillies, um, it was over seven. Yeah. You there? I lost you for a minute, Jay. Can you see me? Yeah, I lost. Yeah, I'm good. Little glitch. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. They, the, so they're they're yeah, ERA. We, we lost you for a second, but Jay, I looked it up. The Phillies. Can you hear me or no? I can hear you. Hello. Yeah, it was seven point one one. Their twenty twenty ERA. It was the second worst bullpen ERA in MLB history. Beside, but behind only the 1930 Phillies. Yeah. So I guess the point that I'm making is, if, okay, they didn't go out and sign, you know, three closers or three of the best relief pitchers in the game. However, they did 
make a couple key additions. And if you look at their bullpen now, I would find it hard to believe that they would be worse than they were last year. Um, Archie Bradley, to me, uh, is a guy that could definitely, uh, you know, be a game changer in the pen. I mean, he's had a lot of a lot of success. Uh, he's also, you know, obviously he, he early in his career, he was a starter. Um, I think overall, the reason why the Phillies are going to be better is, is like I said, I know I'm not, you know, I know we didn't go out and get Lindor, which don't get me wrong. I, I wish we did because he's a stud, but I mean, the fact that they brought back Real Muto and Didi, who I think Didi Gregorius is, is better than he gets credit for. I mean, the guy is the guy plays pretty solid defensively, and you know, in the middle of that lineup, he he, he gives them some pop. So, I think bringing both of them guys back puts the Phillies in a different ballpark than than what I was thinking before the the season. You know, before we got to where we're at. I definitely think it helps the Phillies um, that they were able to bring back these guys. But at the end I, of the day, it's the same lineup as last year. Yeah, but, but, but you got to remember, Aaron, this is my point. The Phillies, the last – probably last four or five years have underperformed. I mean, you're talking – now, am I expecting everything to come together? Actually, I have a weird feeling that it will. I think Andrew McCutcheon, don't forget – he was coming off a major injury last year, major injury, and he's old. So Andrew McCutcheon is still a guy that could come back, and if he could be the leadoff hitter that he was the year prior before he was before he got hurt, this team is a different team. When he's in the leadoff spot, they had a winning record. And, and, you know, as soon as he got hurt, that's when it kind of all went downhill. So, I, and I'm not counting 2020 because, to me, that, that season was not a season. I mean, you can't. You I can't, agree with that. I agree with that. But that goes back to, I, I lost you for a second before. The Phillies ERA last year was 7.11. I don't know if you heard me because we had a glitch. It was the worst ERA in Major League history since the 1930 Phillies, who had an I, ERA over eight, their bullpen ERA. I, Amazing. I don't. I mean, I think Archie Bradley, they got rid of a couple of the stiffs that they had because let's face it, that, that's what they were putting out there, dude. They were putting out there, they were putting slop. Basically, guys that couldn't even make it in AAA were in their bullpen. I mean, I, at least the Mets, you know, the Mets bullpen might have been close to being as bad. The Mets were pretty bad, too, with their bullpen, bro. <laughs> the Mets also had name guys, name value guys. Yeah, I mean, you had you had three closers in that bullpen. So let, let's be real too. So I like I said, I'm moving past the bullpen because I'm expecting the bullpen to be a hundred times better because there's no way that they, that they could get worse. You could only get better from where they were. So their bullpen's going to be better. Their starting pitching is where I think. The two teams obviously differ. I believe, yes, the Mets, the Mets starting staff, one through five, is better than the Phillies. But now, Jake Degrom is 
Cy Young, he's best pitcher in baseball. So that that right there, you know, gives you the better pitching staff right there. Just just with Jake DeGrom. Because he's just he he's basically that guy that will, you know, win a game by himself. Um uh, it looks like we lost Aaron here. Let me try to get him back. You there, Jay? I lost. Yeah, you, you you went off the screen for a minute. Yeah, yeah. What was the last thing you said? I'm back. Well, no, I was saying basically what I was saying is Jake DeGrom is the guy, you know, he's he's a Cy Young. He he's the ace of all aces. I mean, to me, he's the best pitcher in baseball. So I'll give you that. But I think the Phillies have two guys in Wheeler and Nola that if they can both pitch what the way they're capable of pitching, it gives you two top-of-the-line guys, you know, where I think, in my opinion, Zach Wheeler is the Phillies' ace. And, you know, I think that this year he's going to vie for competition to your Jake DeGrom for Cy Young. That's my opinion. I'm sticking with it because I think Zach Wheeler, I love what I saw last year. And like I said, it was a short season. But I think Zach Wheeler, if he's healthy, I think he wins 20 games this year in this Phillies team. All right. So and now I'm going to come in. I, I honestly think it's going to be between the Mets and the Braves. No disrespect. That being said, that being said, I think that you could, the Phillies have enough firepower and talent that they could surprise. I'm not going to disagree with you. I happen to agree with you that the Phillies have the potential to have an awesome threesome at the top of that rotation. I agree. I think, yeah, I think Zach, we, I mean, Zach Eflin is the ace in the hole. If Zach Eflin wins 15 games, Phillies win. They do. The Phillies will win. Oh, I think that goes without saying if you can get that deep. But 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 now let me come back on you. Dude, I just think the Mets lineup from top to bottom is like insane. I mean, it's like insane. Jeff McNeil is a guy that's like a throwback, dude. This is a guy that in like if you give him 550, 600 at-bats this year, he's going to strike out 50, 60 times. In an era where guys on on regular strike out 150 times, this guy doesn't strike out. He puts the ball in play. He can hit 330. He can steal 15, 20 bags. He can play all over the diamond at a very high level. He's not a liability anywhere you put him. And he's got pop. He just hit like 20 something home runs two years ago. So I mean, he's a potential MVP candidate, dude. I mean, two years ago he was in the MVP conversation. Him and Alonzo both two years ago, and the, and Alonzo. First base, the guy is just going to hit 50 home runs. It's like, unless he gets hurt, he's going to hit 45, 50 home runs. He's just got that kind of power. It, I mean, the guy can hit 240, and that's what he's going to do. And then that leads us to the wild card, the guy who's the better defensive first baseman, but that isn't playing first base because Pete Alonso isn't athletic enough to play the outfield, and there's no DH, so Dom's playing the outfield. Dude, Dom Smith was a number one prospect for this team. He was the guy that was the first baseman of the future. And then he came up overweight a couple of years ago, didn't really perform when he was very young, and Alonzo kind of passed him and took over at first. But now then Dom resurrected himself, and Dom was the higher prospect than Alonzo, and he's really blossomed. And 
Dude, Dominic Smith's a guy that this year could hit 320 with 35 home runs, 120 RBIs. And that wouldn't be shocking. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that can – another MVP potential. And then another one, Conforto. Conforto's a guy that could put up Bryce Harper numbers this year. He, he has already. All right. I mean, you got the lineup that's stacked, and that doesn't even count Francisco Lindor, oh, who they just acquired. Oh, I've never seen a Mets lineup like this guy. I never have. They signed James McCann at catcher, which I think was a coup. I think it would have been a huge waste of money if they had gone after and spent the money on Real Muto, which is why you guys were able to resign him. And I'm totally happy for that because I didn't want to spend that money on him. I think that would be way too much money to spend on a guy at his age that has never really done anything that justifies that. I'm not saying Real Muto is not a very good player, but he gets credit like he's like Mike Piazza. He's never had 100 RBIs. I don't even know that he's hit 20 home runs. I have to look. He's a 280 hitter. What's so great about this guy? He's a good player. That's what he is. He's not a $100 million player. So I'm very happy having McCann. Can you hear he's got me? A gun. Um, I think they called him McCannon in Chicago, something like that, because of his arm throwing runners out. I mean, Brandon Nimmo is a solid player. J.D. Davis is a guy that could hit 25 home runs this year and hit 300. Mets lineup is loaded. And then you get to the rotation. Like you just said, you have Jacob DeGrom at the top. I mean, like you said, best player in baseball. They brought in Cookie Carrasco in the Lindor trade, which was a coup. I mean, this guy was a throw-in in the deal. I mean, this is a guy that's going to win 15 games. He could have a 2.85 run run average, give you 200 innings. Very good major league player. Never been injury prone in his career. The only time he missed in the last two seasons was because of the cancer. But prior to that, he was money for 200 innings, 15 wins, like five, six consecutive seasons. He's, he's money. Marcus Stroman, another guy, very good pitcher. Always has a three, three and a half, two eight in that range, two eight to three five ERA, 10, 15 game winner. I mean, it's. It, clockwork that's what stroman's going to give you so there really aren't any question marks there i mean these are major league pitchers if they don't get hurt these are the numbers you're getting then david peterson was in the rookie of the year conversation in the shortened season last year he finished with a four four one five era but that was like because of one or two bad games i mean for most of the season he was like a, a lights out guy among the league earn run average leaders as a rookie tijuan walker the mets got Picked him up. I think it's the signing of the year under the radar. This is a guy that is a superstar potential player that had Tommy John surgery, and now he's back. Then they signed Joey Lachusi, Lachesi, however you say it, solid pitcher. But then Noah Syndergaard's the forgotten guy. He's going to be back midseason now. Do we know what we're going to get coming back from Tommy John from Noah? No. And that would be a big deal if he was expected to be the number two starter. But he's not. He's like a six or seven starter on this team. And if he gets himself back to where he was, he bumps up to the number two or three starter. That's gold. The bullpen's loaded. Edwin Diaz was back last year. Um, Drew Smith, Jerry's familiar. Seth Lugo's money in the bank in the bullpen. I honestly just really believe that this is a loaded team. And like I said, with Steve Cohn as the owner, I think they have – the owner that wants to win and they have the finances to back it up that if they need a piece, you know, in June, July, they're going to go get that piece and money's not going to be an issue. And if guys don't perform, money's not going to be an issue that, to keep them in the lineup just because they're making a certain amount of money, which was a big issue for the Mets in the past under the ownership of the Wilpons, where they would play guys who are just sucking because they were making $15 million. And we got to play this guy because we're paying them. 
you know, whereas the Yankees with their ridiculous payrolls in years past, they had guys that they were paying $15, $20 million a year that they'd send to the minor leagues if they weren't, you know, performing. The guy from Japan comes to mind. I can't remember his name now, but bottom line is I think this team is not only built to win, but they have the ownership to add the pieces should something go awry to ensure that they win. And that's why I really do believe the Mets are going to win the division. So I guess time will tell, brother. We'll see. Can you hear me, Jay? Yeah, I was trying to talk, but you couldn't hear me. Can you hear okay. me? Go on. We also had a glitch. What's yeah, up? You, you froze. Okay, what's up? You went on a 20-minute <laughs> tangent. I was trying to talk. Sorry, dude. I don't know if you can hear me or I'm like, can you hear me? No, I can't. So go on. I hear you now. No, it's fine. I, I, I definitely read you loud and clear. And I, you know, I, I think it's going to be between the Mets and Philly. And I know a lot of people, even in, in my town, are, are going to say, you know, you're nuts, Jason. Why are you, you know, feeling this way? But it's not me being a homer in this in this time around, it's really not. I believe that I think this Phillies team is kind of going to be like the 2017 Eagles where they catch lightning in a bottle. I have that weird feeling. Tell me, you could say I'm nuts. I don't. I, I have a premonition, but I also think that the Phillies are good enough to be right there. And that's what I think a lot of people are sleeping on them because I think a lot of people are saying, oh, the Phillies have no shot. And, and I think that's definitely not true because don't forget. Now, let's let, let's be real here. Bryce Harper hasn't even performed near what he's capable of performing. He had he had a really solid year, his first year with the Phillies, really solid for for a major league player. But that wasn't a Bryce Harper, you know, best of type season. Bryce Harper is that kind of player that could turn this whole franchise around. That's why they signed them to that big contract. And I know a lot of people say Bryce Harper's overrated. Do I think he's the best player in the game? Absolutely not. That to me is Mike Trout. Mookie Betts is right there. And so is the uh, Tatis, the shortstop. Those three are the top three. But Bryce Harper's top 10. And I don't think he gets – I think he gets a lot of disrespect now – even from the outside community, because a lot of people I hear, I see it all the time on Twitter. I hear a lot of people, you know, on these group chats, you know, saying, oh, Bryce Harper's overrated. Bryce Harper's overrated. Well, you know what? I'll take 10 Bryce Harper's on my team any day of the week because the guy gives a damn. He hustles. He busts his ass. He is a hard worker. He's a student of the game. I'll guarantee you he knows more about baseball than probably 99% of, of his peers. The guy is a student. He wants to get better. He wanted to come to Philly. He signed for less money to come to the Phillies. You know, he took a $26 million a year, you know, uh, contract. There's guys getting $45 million a year. So, to me, I think Bryce Harper – if you can get even above average Bryce Harper, that makes the Phillies that much better. Because I think when he signed here originally, everyone automatically thought, oh, this guy's going to hit 40 home runs and hit 300. No, that's not his game. 
He'll hit like 260, 265, but he's capable of hitting 300. To me, Bryce Harper is that kind of guy. He's very streaky. If he gets off to a really slow start, which he did in 2019 when he signed, it took him a long time to dig himself out of there. At the end of the year, he still had decent numbers. But my point is, is if he could come out and kind of debunk that, that normalcy, the normal Bryce Harper slump that he has early in the year, and he can come out firing, and this Phillies team can actually come out and actually maybe go like 20 and 12 and get some momentum early, I think they have just as much of a shot as the Mets or the Braves to win the division. And that's, that's just Bryce Harper. Uh, another guy that is a huge key to whether the, the Phillies do go or not, as far as improving, is Reese Hoskins. Another guy that kind of dropped off the face of the earth. I mean, there was, there was people on Twitter, including me, I'm going to admit it now, I said Reese Hoskins should be traded or, you know, they need to change first baseman. But you know what? I I wasn't looking at the fact that Reese Hoskins, under the old regime, meaning the Gabe Kapler era, where their coaching staff was telling players that the best way to play the game is to go up there and try to get a walk, that totally screwed Reese Hoskins up. Reese Hoskins' game was basically – did you? I mean, you remember what he did his first year, right? Remember his rookie year, Aaron? Yeah, Aaron. A lot of power. I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, I hear you. You remember his rookie I'm year? Right? And he hit twenty-seven home runs. I hear runs. you. Okay. I hear you. So, yeah. my point yeah. is, Reese Hoskins is a guy. Yeah. If he comes around and even puts up like thirty-five home runs and ninety RBIs. Then you got that and Bryce Harper in the middle of the lineup, and then add JT Romuto, who is the best offensive catcher in baseball. And on top of that, JT Romuto, because I know you said he's overrated, but I'm going to disagree with you because the guy's a gold glover. The guy does more for the game as far as the pitching staffs go that nobody talks about. So he's definitely not overrated. So I no, I, I don't agree with that. I, I, I I respect JTL Rumuto's job he does with the pitching staff. I simply said he's not worth that money, and James McCann has the same type of reputation with the yeah, pitching staff. Yeah, but so you I said think it was a great brilliant. signing for the Mets to sign McCann, and, and I'm happy that you guys signed Real Muto. That's I know, all I'm but, I, but I definitely disagree that he's I not. I still think he's overrated. Well, we we can agree to disagree on that one because, like I said, he's the best catcher in the game. For the money he gets, nobody will argue. Nobody will argue. He's the best catcher in the game. Can't argue. It doesn't it. mean he's worth that money. There, I'm not worried about the money. I don't necessarily. Not my money. He's just not worth that money. <laughs> for, Trust no. me. Anyway, I will say this: I I don't think you're nuts for having your premonition because, like I said, I'm a Mets fan and I predicted the Phillies in '93 when they were picked for last place. I just had a premonition that year about the Phillies. So I don't think you're crazy. As far as Bryce Harper goes, dude, I will say this: I don't think he's ever had the real Bryce Harper year that we've all expected him to have. So I think that potentially he could have that year. He hasn't had it yet. 
To me, Bryce Harper is still a huge underachiever. Well, and right now, true. also very overpaid. Wait, that's but not he's true. young enough, and he's going to have ridiculous career numbers Aaron. by the time he's gone. Aaron, that's not true. Well, how's are it not we, true? Wait, are we lagging? Can you hear me? How's it not true? Can you hear me? I think I we're lagging. You. I'm saying, how's it not true? No, I, I think we're lagging. Our you. audio is lagging. It's not true. I hear you, you, Jay. How's it not true? Aaron, in 2015. I hear you. How's it not true? In 2015, he won the MVP. How can you say? Yeah, I get it. He's had. He's had. He's he hasn't had, had a year. He's had an MVP he's year. Had ups and downs. Because I don't think he. If anything, take what I say as a compliment. Jay, if anything, take what I say as a compliment. I don't think Bryce Harper's had the Bryce Harper year that we all expect him to have yet. He hasn't had anything that remotely resembles a Mike Trout year. 2015. 2015. Yeah, he's had he's had some great years, but not what I think he's capable of having. Jay, oh, I, I think I, he's an underachiever. I think he's still an underachiever. Yeah, I think something's wrong with our our audio. I think you're like lagging. Behind. I lost you for a second there. I lost yeah, you're, you for a you're, you hear me? you're lagging behind. I think because you got kicked out, you're behind on the on the on the. Yeah, the if court. you look at Bryce Harper's 2015. If you look at Bryce Harper's 2015. He had 118 runs, 42 home runs. Even that year, he didn't have 100 RBIs. Jay, he only has two career 100 RBI seasons. I'm not saying he hasn't had some big years. 2015 was his best year by far. That was the year he hit 330. But, dude, even that year, it's 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 an anomaly at this point, Jay. I think he's – I still I still think we're yet to see the best well, of Bryce Harper. He's capable of that. You're lagging behind. What's that? You're lagging behind on the recording. We're, we're not making Anyway, our- we'll call it a show. We'll call it a show. We'll call it a show. Because of the- we're going to call it a show, Jay. I hear you. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Rock Are we on. Out? Jay, give it a peace out. Yeah. Do you like sports? How about metal? What if you could have both in one podcast? Sports and Metal, available now on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Music, Spotify, and Anchor. We're all about hard-hitting sports talk and the sounds of bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal with Jason Borg. And that's our show. Tune in next time for more Sports and Metal. With Jason Voorhees and Aaron Savage. Got something to say? Hit us up at sportsandmetal0423 at yahoo.com or on Twitter at sportsandmetal.